the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. In recent days, it has become clear that even quoting scripture in our day and age can get you in some pretty serious hot water. I recently put on my social media that the woman being the weaker vessel indicates that our wives as Christian husbands are not lesser than us, but should be treated in my words like fine china. And then I went on to call for husbands to cherish their wives, nurture their wives, cultivate their wives, these sorts of realities, be strong for their wives, protect their wives. A lot of people agreed with me and uh, expressed that agreement on social media. And then others pushed back hard. Where did this idea of the woman as weaker vessel that I quoted on my social media come from? Well, it comes from 1 Peter 3. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 to set the stage for our discussion. We're going to consider not just this idea of the woman as the weaker vessel on today's episode. We're going to think a little bit more broadly about biblical womanhood in general. We're not going to say everything we can say, and this isn't an exposition per se of 1 Peter 3, but I do think it is important for us to try to work through even briefly what we mean by the term weaker vessel. What we mean and also what we don't mean. 1 Peter 3.1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not hindered. Let's walk through several truths we need to say about womanhood that flow out of this passage with particular respect to verse 7 on what it means that the woman is identified by Peter as the weaker vessel. Let's first note this. Womanhood is distinctive. Biblical womanhood is distinctive. Manhood and womanhood in scripture are not the same. Both men and women are image bearers. Both men and women are made in God's image, according to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Men have the leadership role in this respect, and we know that in 1 Corinthians 11, 
the Apostle Paul will say that the woman is made for the man. So there's a kind of creation order that we must honor and respect and see not only as minimally important, but very important. It's very significant that the man is created first and the woman, according to Genesis 2, is created to be his helper. That is her identity from the start. This, though, already indicates that the woman is not a, an inferior creature. She, in fact, is going to bless and help and in certain ways strengthen the man. He and she, Adam and Eve, the first couple, can only fully honor the dominion mandate of Genesis 1 when they are able to procreate and fill the earth with children. The man cannot do this on his own. So already in a pre-fall world, the Lord has signaled in Genesis 1 and 2, in particular Genesis 2, that the man is not self-sufficient to accomplish the mission, the dominion mandate given him by God. So we're saying different words than our culture says when it says that equality of the sexes means sameness of role. We're saying something different. We're saying men and women, right from the outset, do not have the same role in numerous categories of life. But we also are saying that men and women are equal in the sight of God. Men are not better than women. Women are not inferior to men. They are each an image bearer, and they both must be fully present and living as a human being per their constituted role in order for the earth to be filled with children, to be filled with little image bearers, which is absolutely what the Lord God wants from the beginning. The Lord God creates life, he loves life, and he wants lots and lots and lots of human life. Human life in the biblical mind is not a problem for the stewardship of the cosmos. The cosmos, and in particular planet Earth, exists so that there will be Lots and lots of joyful human existence. Remember this, by the way, in a climate that emphasizes really the badness of human life and teaches us that climate change is the cause of causes. There's more to say there about those particular issues, but we start from a fundamentally pro-life perspective as Bible-loving Christians. That doesn't only mean that we are against abortion, uh, dead set against it. It does mean that. It also means that we recognize that the creator is the creator of life. And God wants the earth filled, filled with living human beings. Womanhood is distinctive then from the jump. It's not the same as manhood. There's one human race, men and women populate it, and only men and women populate it. There are no other sexes or genders given us in scripture. And yet womanhood is distinctive. It's not the same as manhood. We're we're both human, man and woman, husband and wife, but we have to recognize that in numerous places in scripture, there is emphasis placed on the uniqueness of manhood and the uniqueness of womanhood. And if you treat your spouse as a gender neutral individual, you will not, A, find the flourishing and happiness that God intends you to, B, you will not really do justice to scripture at all. And see, you thus will not give glory to God as he desires it, having designed manhood in his own super intelligence and having designed womanhood in his own super intelligence. God is the author of manhood and God is the author of womanhood. And God loves the distinctive strength of manhood and God loves the distinctive beauty of womanhood. 
Second truth, the term weaker vessel here in 1 Peter 3, 7 is not negative in nature. As thenestero skue in the Greek, weaker vessel, the way it's normally translated. This is not a negative term. It's a comparative term, isn't it? It's not saying that the woman is fundamentally weak. It's certainly not saying that the woman is fundamentally inferior or of little value or something like this. It's a comparative term. And the comparison appears to be first physical and fundamentally physical in nature. The woman and the man are not of the same vessel status. The man, by implication, is the stronger vessel, and the woman, explicitly, is the weaker vessel. And I would agree with numerous commentators in seeing this, reading this first and foremost as physical strength, a a physical comparison. Wayne Grudem says this about interpreting weaker vessel in the seminal text, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, the revised edition. Weaker vessel, Grudem writes, would certainly include physical strength. Most men, if they tried, could overpower their wives physically. But the context also shows that women are weaker in terms of authority in the marriage, verses 1, 5, and 6. And Peter therefore tells husbands that instead of misusing their authority for selfish ends, they should use it to tweet, treat, not tweet, treat their wives with respect. Yet there may also be a third sense of weakness that would fit the context because it is something husbands should not take advantage of. Namely, Grudem writes, a greater emotional sensitivity, perhaps hinted at in Peter's admonition to godly wives, verse 6, do not give way to fear. While this is something that is also a great strength, the ability to be sensitive and nurture, uh, I'm, I'm adapting that. Grudem writes, it nonetheless means that wives are often more likely to be hurt deeply by conflict within a marriage or by inconsiderate behavior. Knowing this, Grudem goes on, Christian husbands should not be harsh, Colossians 3.19, or fill their marriage relationship with criticism and conflict, but rather should be positive and affirming, living together in an understanding way and bestowing honor on their wives. That is a marvelous passage. Grudem includes the possibility and likelihood, as he articulates it here, to varying degrees of three dimensions of how men are the stronger vessel and women are the weaker vessel. First, physical strength. Second, the strength of authority that the husband has. And third, a kind of emotional strength. And I think all three of those dimensions need to be considered because I think they're all very likely operative in Peter's mind here. This is fundamentally physical, but it is also true that the woman is in the position of submitting to her husband. In, the, in terms of the second dimension, it is also true that the woman is more susceptible to attack. We can correlate 1 Peter 3, 7 with 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 14. Let me read that. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. This tells us that there was a unique kind of deception that Eve experienced. The woman is the one who was deceived by the serpent and became a transgressor. 
Now we know that Adam abdicated his role and is the one who the Lord came to following the eating of the forbidden fruit, real historical fruit by a real historical Adam and a real historical Eve in Genesis 3. And God held Adam to account for not exercising his role to guard the garden in fulfillment of Genesis 2.15. So no one here is throwing stones at Eve alone. Nonetheless, Eve was deceived and Eve did become a transgressor. And so both Adam and Eve are indicted profoundly in the fall. And Paul teaches us that the woman is not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man, but is to remain quiet in terms of the ministry of the church. So men are called to the eldership role. Men are called to be the preachers and teachers and pastors and shepherds of the church. Those who provide theological and spiritual oversight. This is because of creation order. The man was formed first. The man, in other words, was formed for this role of cultivating and guarding Genesis 2.15 once more, and the woman was not formed for that role. But in the fall, those roles were reversed, and Adam did not fill his charge. And so all of this, I think, indicates, yes, that a woman is more susceptible to attack than a man. This means that we need to take stock. We need to recognize that weaker vessel is important. It's important for understanding the identity of a woman. She is not the same as the man. She is distinct from the man, as I was just saying. This doesn't mean that the Bible says that women are inferior. I've made this point previously. I'm making it again. It does mean that in the biblical mind, there are fundamental differences between men and women, and those differences matter. And those differences mean that men are called to leadership and women are called to follow godly leadership. This is particularly true in the context of marriage. It is also true in the context of the local church and even beyond the church in society, wherever a godly woman can, she is called to follow and support uh, virtuous male leadership. There's going to be some give and take there in a society like ours, let that be said. But fundamentally, the principle here is that a woman is a weaker vessel, and that's going to have effects in all of life. We're not teaching here that all women submit to all men or something like this, but we are teaching that when a man looks at a woman or when a boy looks at a girl, that man or that boy is seeing the creature made by God who is weaker than he is. And men on average have a thousand percent more testosterone. Men on average bench press more weight. Men on average run faster and jump higher and all these sorts of things. It's not true in every case. That's why I use the words on average. It is nonetheless true. And so you will not understand manhood and you will not understand womanhood until you not only begrudgingly concede this reality, but you actually embrace it. You embrace who the man is who the man is made by God, and you embrace who the woman is, who she is made to be by God. So much of the chaos and conflict in our society, and certainly in many marriages and families and homes, comes because men and women in different ways kick against creation order and divinely constituted reality. We frankly don't like in our sin the way God has set things up. And men in different ways don't like the nature and imperatives of biblical manhood. And women in their own ways don't like the nature and imperatives of biblical womanhood. So what the gospel does with particular respect to this conversation is it frees and summons women to embrace the reality of weaker vessel, to not kick against it, hate it, 
fight it, see it as a hostile biblical teaching, but as a fundamental creational reality that actually is going to help a woman understand who she is and who she is made to be by God. Third truth, women show real strength in different areas of life. In confessing that women are the weaker vessel from Peter's own direct spirit-given teaching, we are not losing sight of the fact that a woman being the weaker vessel is, as I have said, a comparative term. This term weaker signals not that a woman therefore has no strength, but that in relative terms, she is the one who is weaker than her husband in the three ways I have laid out. But that doesn't mean that women can't show real strength. Furthermore, it doesn't mean that a given woman can't be stronger than a given man. We certainly know that is true. In fact, in the Old Testament in Proverbs 31, 17, we read of the kind of ideal godly woman, this, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Proverbs 31, 17. The Bible itself indicates that a godly woman following the shape of Proverbs 31, finds strength in God. I think that's what's most signified, uh, first signified in this verse, that her strength is in God and that has practical effect. She makes her arms strong. The Proverbs 31 woman is a very hardworking woman. She's active. She's doing all sorts of physical tasks. So uh, just collating scripture with scripture, synthesizing different biblical texts, which is all that systematic Fund systematic theology really is in fundamental terms, helps us understand that First Peter 3, because no text can contradict another text in the scripture, is not indicating that a woman has no strength. It is indicating that she has comparatively less strength than her husband. But Proverbs 31 teaches us that a godly woman actually is to pursue strength in God first and foremost, and also to pursue what strength she can gain in a bodily sense. That is not something that godly men are scared of. That is us uh, cheering her on, seeing her, finding her strength in God and thus acting in strong Christian faith first, and then secondly, doing what she can as she's able to strengthen her body. We see that as a very positive reality. Of course, that can be overdone, and overplayed in terms of the second component. Uh, men and women alike need to watch themselves and how they steward their bodies. But fundamentally, we recognize that women show real strength in different areas of life. We think, for example, of how women give birth. My wife gave birth to three children. Am I saying in confessing 1 Peter 3, 7 is true, that a Christian woman is never called to exercise or show physical strength? Are you joking? Are you kidding me? Uh, my wife has done something spectacularly difficult physically, pushed herself to her very limits as a human being in giving birth to three wonderful children. There are, of course, tons and tons of such stories on the part of godly women who are blessed by God uh, with the gift of children in the context of marriage. So we know that women show real strength. This is just one example of many we could mention. The Bible does not call women to think that they can never do anything physically. The Bible calls for women to be strong in God, to strengthen their body as much as they can, but then also to recognize that their husband, of course, First Peter 3 is a marriage passage, their husband 
is the one who is strong to protect them and provide for them and lead them. It's not that the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, powered by the gospel, are at odds with one another. No, the gospel actually collapses the battle of the sexes that our culture continues to try to fight. Feminism having trained generations of women now to see themselves as no different than men. And now the later stages of the sexual revolution feature truly not just the idea that women have their own distinctive strength that is equivalent to men. And so many movies show this, by the way, women beating up men in ridiculous formats, by the way. But no, now the the transgender movement goes a step further or even two steps further and teaches that really the sexes themselves are a fiction. All this to say, there's been a lot of water uh, that has gone over, over the bridge here. And we have a real responsibility to say all these truths together. Women do show real strength in different areas of life and godly men are thankful for that. We want our wives to be strong in the Lord. We're trying, in fact, we're not perfect, but as husbands in the role of Christ in the Christ church marriage expressed in one man, one woman, covenantal marriage for life, we are trying to strengthen our wives in the truth. We want them to be strong in the scriptures. We're not scared of that. We don't, that's not the same thing as feminist strength, and it's certainly not unsubmissive strength, but it is nonetheless biblical strength, appropriately circumcised, circumscribed strength. This leads us to the fourth truth. Women are not men and will only flourish when they embrace this. Women aren't men. So I've alluded to this already. Fundamentally, even as we show that women do evidence and display real strength in different areas of life, preceding truth, we always have to confess and help our girls in particular understand in the context of the home and discipleship, they're not boys. Women are not men. You're only going to flourish as a woman when you embrace this reality. So there are going to be a lot of people coming into the church in years ahead who have absolutely been trained in androgynous ways, in androgynous thinking, and androgynous behavior. This is not a popular thing to say out there in our culture today, even in church circles today. But fundamentally, we are not discipling women and men exactly the same. We are trying to disciple women to understand the distinctive beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. First Peter 3, 4. That is a God- called reality and a God-blessed posture. Women are not men. There is a distinctive beauty of femininity and womanhood that God has shaped and fashioned for the full flourishing of a woman. And that means that Christian women stand out and stand apart in many ways from our world today in 2021. Christian womanhood will overlap to some degree with how womanhood is being lived out and expressed in their given context, but Christian womanhood is going to be distinct. It needs to be distinct. We want it to be distinct. It's intended by God to stand apart. In fact, this kind of spirit, a gentle and quiet spirit, one that recognizes that the woman is the weaker vessel, is actually so powerful, ironically, that Peter says early in 1 Peter 3 that it will be nothing less than evangelistic. Even if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be one without a word 
by the conduct of their wives. What is this conduct? Respectful and pure conduct, submissive conduct, feminine spirit, an unfearing heart, a heart that trusts in God. All these things blended together, working together to portray the distinctive beauty of Christian womanhood. This kind of womanhood is so powerful that it can win an unbelieving husband out of hell and see that godless man trust Christ by the grace of God. That's how strong womanhood that may feel weak is to the Apostle Peter. And many of us know that this is evidenced in real life that when men and women alike see the distinctive beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, a woman who is not at war with her God-constituted womanhood, a woman who understands who she is as the weaker vessel, a woman who understands who she is as a nurturer, for example. Part of why I think women are more susceptible emotionally to attack, as I believe they are, is that they are constituted to nurture They are constituted to be very attuned to the needs of their children, and they're constituted and called to respond to those needs. They're different than men, in other words. The man is not made to be the nurturer. Now, a man is called to be a a godly father and a godly husband. That's what this passage itself is calling for. So he's called to work on being more and more thoughtful and gracious and loving to his wife and to his children. We can talk more about that. But fundamentally, he's not the one in this marriage relationship who is the nurturer of life, both physically and in many respects, emotionally. He contributes in serious ways to the formation of his children. He must. But she is the one who nurtures life. She is the one who is so attuned to her children. She's made by God in that way. That is a glorious God-given strength that also can be played upon by godless men so as to exploit women. Women are not men, and we do best to help women, the women we're discipling, the girls we're discipling, when they and we recognize this and embrace it. Fifth truth, we need to honor and support women of God. We want to recognize just how much scripture honors godly women. We're not doing this in a kind of disnified way. We're not doing this in a way that indicates that men are are ignoble savages and women are the the true spiritual heroes of the world. We don't want to do that. That's not what I'm calling for. And, And sometimes you hear this in Christian circles today, men indicating effectively that they're idiots and that their wives are these, these beings who have elevated them spiritually. That's, that's not a sound biblical framing, but we do want to note, uh, that the scripture, just as it honors godly manhood in, in very serious terms, it honors godly womanhood in very serious terms. And I want to say a word here. Part of this beauty of of biblical womanhood is very clearly, these things again are intertwined, is modesty. Verse three, do not let your adorning be external, braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let me just say a quick word here. That is the opposite of how worldly womanhood works. Today, women are encouraged to use their beauty, to use their feminine form 
against men or for their own good. We know that it is modesty, actually, driven by gospel-powered self-control that shows true strength. True strength is not a woman being immodest. It is a woman under divine control. Submission, of course, is a military term, indicating that self-control is this rigorous duty. That's when you see true strength of spirit, when either a man or a woman is modest. And in today's context, a feminist context as in America, when a woman chooses not brazen sexuality, but self-controlled modesty. We honor and support these kind of women. This is the kind of woman we are praying to raise in the church as God moves and works in his grace. Let me close with this. Godly women may not be applauded by the world, but they will be rewarded by the Lord. The world is not going to applaud you in so many different ways for being a godly woman, for being a woman who embraces who she is by divine making in terms of creation order. The world hates that creation order. Satan despises biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Satan is trying to get the church today in a major way to kick against the divine plan for glorification of God by the sexes. The world's not, in many respects, going to applaud you, women. But God sees every minute of the life you are seeking to lead by his grace, for his glory. You are storing up crowns and treasures in heaven. All of your fight against the flesh, fight against the world, all of your struggle in God's power to be self-controlled, all of your work to nurture life, all of that sacrifice to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, all of your attempts to submit to an imperfect husband who isn't always easy to submit to, all of that matters to God. All of it is seen by God, and all of it will be rewarded by God. Godly women are not going to be applauded by the world in many ways. But you as a godly woman, striving to this upward call that is in Christ Jesus, by the power of Christ in you, through saving faith given you by God, all of that action, all of that God-honoring meditation, all of that God-honoring pursuit of biblical womanhood will be rewarded by the Lord. Remember that in a day and an age in which a woman being a weaker vessel, according to the Bible itself, is a negative reality, a very negative one, not only for the world beyond, but even for many professing Christians. Just remember this as well. What the world scoffs at and hates, God loves. When we are discussing God's truth here, as I am, the world will so frequently hate it. But God loves it. Structure your life not by the opinions and wisdom of men. Structure your life by the grace of God in you to honor and live according to the design of God. Your reward is being stored up now. You will soon see Christ. And when you get to glory, the reward and inheritance you have stored up in the kindness of God will be beyond your richest imagining. 
live your life for that day and not for this world. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.